Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Gardeners of the Galaxy, the podcast for all of the sentient beings in the universe who have a passion for plants. I'm Emma the Space Gardener and I will be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond. In November 2022, the Australian Research Council announced the establishment of a Centre for Excellence in Plants for Space, P4S, to establish a long-term human presence in space and develop innovations on Earth. P4S has initial funding for seven years and 38 partner organisations worldwide, including academic institutions, space agencies, education and outreach endeavours and commercial companies. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Dr Jenny Mortimer, an Associate Professor at the University of Adelaide and one of the researchers involved in P4S. We'll be hearing from Jenny in just a second, but first I would like to say a big thank you to all my Gardeners of the Galaxy boosters. Every spaceship needs fuel to stay in orbit and Gardeners of the Galaxy is no exception. My rocket boosters support the show financially and there are several ways to do that. Just as important are my signal boosters who help me expand the Gardeners of the Galaxy community by sharing episodes on social media or leaving reviews in their podcast apps. You can find out more about becoming a booster by visiting theunconventionalgardener.com forward slash boosters. Hi Jenny, welcome to Gardeners of the Galaxy. It's great to have you on the show today. Hi Emma, thanks for having me. Now, I am excited to have you on the show because I've been following your work for quite some time. And you are, would it be right to say that you are slightly obsessed by a particular plant? I think that would be fair to say. Yes. <laughs> so what is your, your plant obsession at the moment? I'm particularly obsessed with a plant called duckweed. We sometimes find it called water lentils and a few other things. And it's a very small plant. It's only a few millimetres in size. And you find it growing on the surface of lots of different types of fresh water all over the world. OK. And what is so exciting about duckweed that it's got, got your attention? There's a couple of things. One is that it's actually completely edible by humans, so you can eat it fresh as is. I wouldn't recommend re- eating it out of most of the water bodies available. <laughs> you want to be in nice, clean water. It tends to pick up whatever it's growing in. But it's also very high in protein. It contains all of the essential amino acids that humans need for, for a healthy diet. And it's, it's eaten in parts of uh, Southeast Asia already, so it's, it's known in some parts of the world as being a food source. And what makes it really fascinating is that it grows really, really fast. So it doubles uh, every two two days or so, depending on the species. OK, so it's a, a teeny, teeny, weeny plant, isn't it, um, that grows really quickly and needs clean water. So at what point did you realise that it would be a particularly good plant maybe to grow in space? I'm definitely not the first person to have thought about this. In fact, NASA has funded a couple of projects to think about how you might go about growing such a plant in space. And there's there's actually a company that we are collaborating with a bit, Space Lab Technologies, based in the US, who've made a cool little device called a lily pond for actually growing the the duckweed in space. But I love the fact that it grows so fast, because when we're thinking about feeding humans in space, the limitations are that you actually have very limited physical space in which to grow things because if you look at anything on the International Space Station, it's just jammed full of stuff. Oh, There's not a lot of <laughs> spare spots chaos. for doing things. <laughs> exactly. And so the idea of growing large sort of acreages of, of plants isn't really going to be a thing. 
And because it grows so fast, you can eat the whole thing. This means you can kind of continuously harvest it rather than a lot of the crops we work with and, and we eat in our diet. You plant the seed and then you wait for some time and then you harvest it. And NASA has really focused on this idea of the pick and eat plants, like things like lettuce and kale. But a lot of those don't have a lot of protein in. They've got nutrients, they've got a lot of vitamins, but they don't have that protein component. And duckweed is a bit unusual that it's such high protein. Okay, so I mean, you talked about the fact that this isn't a plant that's eaten in some parts of the world. Obviously, it's not one that, that's common in, in the Western world. <laughs> we don't go down to the salad bar and pick out our duckweed. Yeah. And you're not really talking about, you know, an astronaut eating a plate of duckweed a day, are you? No, and I think we can even just thinking about how you might eat plants in space in general. I sort of have this sort of view of it as being a kind of a staged idea that on the International Space Station, even if you have the most efficient plant, you're still going to be using it almost like a, a bit of flavour, a bit of nutrients on top of your prepackaged food. Um, they just haven't got the capacity to grow it. So in that case, it might be fresh because it's crunchy. It's kind of a clean flavour. It's got nice um, vitamins and nutrients in it. So you can imagine it kind of garnishing the side of your plate along with your, your microwave meal. But yeah. if you're thinking about the longer term human habitation, which is what sort of really interests us, then then you can think about the, the ability to grow large amounts of things, but also to have some sort of downstream processing, some sort of conversion that into other types of foodstuffs. And so we're collaborating with food scientists who think about what is it about food structure that is, that is good and how can you take plant proteins and give us some of those structures that we really enjoy, like cheese and, and meats? And, and what does that look like at a sort of molecular level? Is, is there the potential for using duckweed proteins to make, you know, those sort of plant-based protein meals that we're starting to see on the shelves now? Could they be made out of duckweed protein instead of pea protein, for example? Absolutely. And that's, we've actually got a, I've got a PhD student, Chikosi, who's working with me and he's, he's a food scientist and he's really interested in that idea of how can we use it? Either he's starting to look at sort of drinks and beverages that would be protein rich, but then where do you go beyond that? So what we've, understood so far is that it has a very neutral flavor things like peas and right. beans have that kind of lentily flavor and so if you're trying to make it into foodstuffs it retains that flavor so you have to find ways of processing to remove it because you don't want your nice vegan sausage replacement to <laughs> to taste like lentils or peas well most people don't um yeah. so if you can have a nice neutral protein to work with and that should have some benefits but it's because it's completely new we mm. have to do a lot of testing to say how shelf stable is it? How does it behave when we do these types of processing? How do you store it once you've harvested it? These are the questions that he's going to be looking at. Yeah, I'm just wondering whether the future of like space food is a like, duckweed smoothie every morning. <laughs> That's, that is actually quite a possibility, to be honest. Um, it, it would have all of your nutrition apart from a couple of vitamins. And we have to think about the balance of fiber. Um, and then on yeah. the vitamin front, that's where we can bring in some of the synthetic biology, this idea of introducing pathways that don't exist naturally so that we can introduce things such as vitamin D biosynthesis. So I have another PhD student whose his project is to introduce vitamin D biosynthesis to see if we can get closer to the idea of a single plant being a sort of complete nutrition base. And are you looking at maybe sort of further down the line and this sort of biotech approach? Could you use duckweed as a sort of factory to make anything that you need in space? That's, I mean, our hypothesis is that's what we'd love it to do, because if we think about 
the biomanufacturing that's going on already at the moment, a lot of the commercial biomanufacturing uses microbes, so yeast or bacteria. But a lot of that relies on the fact you have to feed these yeast and bacteria sugars. And all those sugars come from plants, and it's made by photosynthesis uh, fixing carbon dioxide from the air. So the, the idea here is sort of cutting out the middleman, perhaps, of yeah. get a photosynthetic organism to do this, then you kind of have it all in one system. Now, people have looked at algae for a long time as, as a way of doing this as well, and it's kind of an analogous system for that. But because duckweed isn't an algae, it's actually a land plant that returned to the water a long time ago. We think we might understand its biology a bit better and be able to harness some of its metabolism to do these things. Um, although definitely an open research question. <laughs> it's fascinating. <laughs> it sounds like it's a plant with massive superpowers. Um, but most people would just walk past it on, on the river and just go, Bleh. Yeah, or you walk past the river one day and it's blue and you go back in two weeks and it's green and people go, oh, that's so annoying. And I'm like, no, no, that's great. And often it also means that the duckweed's often cleaning up the water. They're really good at taking yeah. nutrients. So if there's been some fertilizer runoff, it takes up lots of nitrogen and phosphate. So it's probably doing a good job cleaning up the water. Fantastic. <laughs> Okay, so I mean, so far your research has been ground-based and you've been thinking about what duckweed could be used for. As you say, you've been you've been working with Space Lab Technologies and they're absolutely fabulous, micro G lily pond, which just looks so steampunk. It's just awesome. But you are working on your own experiment to go into space, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yes, so we are very lucky that we have just started a large research centre. It would be seven years of funding from the Australian Research Council so that's uh, government funding. And this has allowed us to really start to build a large network of people interested in working in plant space, both in Australia, but also internationally. And as part of that, we're very lucky that we've been able to partner with companies to start planning payloads to go up from, well, hopefully next year, although the amount of paperwork is slightly terrifying, yeah. I have to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, so partners are, we work a lot with Axiom and they've been fantastic with us and hopefully partnering, partnering with Sabre, who are a local South Australian company, to, to manage this. And initial experiments are just going to be exploring how duckweed coped with the challenges of going up to the International Space Station and what the best way of shipping it there and back are. So duckweed, when it, because it produces so, reproduces so fast, so it divides yeah. every two days, like I mentioned, and it does this through clonal or asexual reproduction. But it also has this other feature where you can either make it flower and set seed like a normal plant. It makes these tiny, tiny little flowers. They're very, very small, but you can find them. But it also, if it doesn't set seed, it also goes through this other bit of its life cycle. It makes a thing called a turian, which is almost like a protective form. So if it senses that life is getting stressful, it makes a much thicker protective uh, cell wall around the outside. And eventually it sinks to the bottom of the water. So in a pond, it can overwinter by kind of hanging out on the bottom until the spring returns. And so we're trying to work out whether it's better if we can just send fresh material up or if we send seeds and then germinate them or we send this Turian form and then revive it. Because part of the issues with sending living material up to the space station or beyond is, well, the journey up is stressful. There's lots of high gravity, but actually there's all that time before where you package yeah. up an experiment and it just sits around in a hangar somewhere waiting to be loaded up. And then it sits in the rocket for a bit waiting to be loaded up. And for a biological system, that's quite a stressful situation to be in. And we, for the scientists, it's quite stressful because we can't get involved. <laughs> um, 
So we're looking at what's the best way really of it surviving these types of, of trips up and down. So that's going to be the first, the first point. And then beyond that, we like to, to test some of our systems, but we've got to think a lot about regulation, particularly when we're thinking about potentials for using gene editing or similar biotechnology, uh, making sure all those regulations are in place for, for working with those types of systems. Yeah, you were talking about that that special sort of hibernation state that it goes into. It almost sounds like it's sort of analogous to a tardigrade. You know, it's one of these tough things that's going to survive anything that you throw at it. Yeah, but it's pretty amazing that you can make all these sort of decisions based on um, those inputs. And one of the things we don't really fully understand is how you guide it to each of those steps. We've got some ideas, but it's because it's actually not a single species. There's 36 different species found globally. Okay. Um, and they're quite different. And so trying to work out what the best species is to use, we're working with a lot of Australian species and to understand a bit more about what makes them different and what makes which one would be the most suitable uh, are also some of our questions. Sounds like you've got your work cut out there. It's a big project. Yeah, I'm really happy it grows fast because it means we can ask lots of questions <laughs> fast. <laughs> that does make life a little easier. <laughs> Not waiting weeks for a new generation. <laughs> yeah, I have, you know, a lot of our other work has been on plants like sorghum and some perennial grasses and that, you know, you get a couple of generations a year. So this is a nice, a nice change. Yeah, I was in, most of your work so far has been focused on on earth agriculture, hasn't it? So do you see any benefits to this duckweed space research sort of coming back to earth? Absolutely. And I should say before I go any further that duckweed isn't the only plant we're trying to send up to space. I'm a bit obsessed with it, but <laughs> we actually, we would imagine there'd be a range of different plants that go up there. I mean, NASA have sent obviously a lot of different species and it's going to be about finding that mixture of different plants that work together. So strawberries and tomatoes are probably ones that will work very nicely in this type of, um, so if you imagine your diet coming from these different components, having something that's sweet, having, t you know, tomatoes are fantastic as well. But thinking about the on-earth applications, the way that we envisage long-term sort of plant growth, particularly, say, on the surface of the moon or, or Mars, is not very different to how we might see vertical farming or other types of protected cropping, closed environment agriculture that people are developing really rapidly here on Earth. And if you think about the early days of vertical farming, it was thought to be it's going to be something you find in Singapore or some very small countries that have very little space. But actually, it's yeah. taking off all over the world because technology has improved, particularly the lighting. NASA had a huge role to play, actually, in the development of LED lights and using them for indoor growth. And as things like solar power have got cheaper and it's possible to do that, the idea of being able to grow things out of season and all year round in an indoor environment where you get to control the environment, which means you get to control a bit more the phenotype of the plant that comes out, the output. But also you can recycle your water, you can recycle your nutrients. And so I always think of space as being this incredible system that allows us to be very, very circular and sustainable in our thinking. And we can apply that very easily to these on-earth um, vertical farming systems. So we're definitely exploring that. And we've got some awesome industry partners we get to work with on that too. It is quite amazing what's possible now or what might be possible in, in the very near future. Yeah. Um, it's really quite incredible. Yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. I mean, also, I think it's always in awe of what plants can already do. It's pretty impressive. Yes, it's almost like a, just a little nudge and they go off and they yeah. do something absolutely fantabulous is a word that I like to use. <laughs> <laughs> so if we can go a little bit more into the realms of science fiction, 
we are looking at an era where researchers could possibly go into space or at least do a suborbital flight with their with their research. Would you like to accompany your duckweed into space? Oh, that's a great question. I've been umming and ahhing about this because as a kid, the answer would have been flat, yes, please. I was a complete <laughs> space nerd kid. So the idea that would even be possible is kind of, it's mind blowing to me. However, <laughs> having seen how cramped and how smelly and yeah. how... <laughs> Part of me thinks that maybe I might leave it for one of the younger PhD students to do and, and relinquish that goal. <laughs> I was going to say the new Axiom spacesuits do look pretty cool. Um, and I do love the idea that now designing spacesuits to fit you know, different body shapes and to fit women better and, and things like this. So We can all be a little bit more comfortable, yes. A bit more comfortable. Yeah, the International Space Station does not look comfy, does it? No. 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 Although the new commercial ones, you know, I'm curious to see how they they build on what have been learned from on the last sort of 30 years of the ISS. I think I still find it incredible that we as humanity managed to put up a space station that long ago and it's still going. And yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal technology. Yeah. Okay, so assuming a future where spaceflight is comfy. Mm-hmm. And you've got the opportunity to go into space for an extended period with your research. So the duckweed's already there um, and whichever other plants you want to take for your research. In your hand luggage, you have space for a personal plant, a pet plant. Mm -hmm. What do you choose and why? This is a really hard question as well, because as a plant scientist, I love plants and I I have a garden here. And I moved to Australia only a couple of years ago, so I'm really enjoying learning more about the native flora here. And so I've actually chosen an Australian plant so that we have a, a native uh, river mint here. So it's it's related to, say, the European mint, but it's a bit prettier and it's not quite as invasive if you let it run, run right in your garden, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. But I thought it'd be good because it smells good. And because all the reports back are that the International Space Station has a smell problem. Yes. And I just like that. I think mint would retain its flavour and taste really good and really fresh. And I love a mint tea as well. So I think... It would cover all bases. That does sound awesome. And you can just sort of waft past and run your hand through the foliage yeah. and yeah, have a little bit of aromatherapy go, going on there. And a lot of our Australian native plants are fantastically so robust and, and tolerant of yeah. sort of fairly extreme weather conditions. So I reckon it probably do quite well then. Yeah, I was just uh, reading the news the other day that um, a couple of Australian schools are joining the Growing Beyond Earth NASA citizen science thing. Um, which I talked about in a recent podcast, and and they they're starting with the sort of basil and the basics and stuff like that. But it looks like they're hoping to try and grow some bush tucker native Australian plants, and that's going to be really fabulous, really fascinating. I think they're looking at maybe bush tomatoes or warrigal greens, something that's not too massive, because a lot of bush tucker plants are really quite big, aren't they? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I do have a fascination with bush tucker plants and. Um, and Australian native edibles so yeah that's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch that unfold. Absolutely I think there's a lot and I think sort of engagement with some of the indigenous communities and their enthusiasm for space so um, we'd be very lucky to to hear from some of those experts and because space is such an important part of um, indigenous culture here in Australia um, often the indigenous culture here as the first astronomers and, and stars are so important in the night sky so I think it's it's great that these links and that knowledge can be shared with us um, as we think about exploring space further. 
Yeah, and also the huge potential of plants from other cultures because all of the ones that have been up so far pretty much have been sort of very Western sort of agricultural plants. Um, and I just think a lot of these sort of native plants um, have got so much potential for spaceflight if we just have a look. Absolutely. And I, and I think about this idea of plants didn't evolve to grow indoors and we haven't domesticated plants really to grow indoors apart from you know, the occasional sad house plant. So it's really an opportunity to reimagine what we think about when we're thinking about growing our food. Um, it, it completely changes what I think we can think with what we can grow and what we want to look at in our plants. And we can go out and re-explore our environment and think about it in that, in that context. So I think it's a really exciting time. It is. And uh, hopefully it will it will combat people's plant blindness to a certain extent, because people very much sort of they walk past and go, oh, that's pretty. Um, but they don't really understand how much of a role plants play in our everyday lives, do they? Yeah. And, and I think that's another thing about this, the space context is that it re really makes you think about that circularity of a system and sustainability. And that part about not taking plants for granted because they, you know, providing the oxygen we breathe. They're taking carbon dioxide out of the air for us, but then they're really sit at the base of all the food that we eat. But beyond that, often a lot of our building materials or other components of our lives too. And so it really focuses the mind when you're thinking, okay, can be stuck in a, a small metal box somewhere with everything you can bring with you. What would you want yeah. to take with you? And the answer is usually plants. Absolutely. Well, Jenny, thank you for coming on the show today. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, your research on duckweed is fascinating and I'm looking forward to seeing it go into space. Um, maybe you'll come back on the show in the future and tell us how that went. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, we're definitely at the beginning of our journey for exploring this for the Plants for Space Centre. So I would love to come back in a few years and let you know how it's going. And Fabulous. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's it for this episode. I'll put the links to the Plants for Space website and Jenny's Twitter in the show notes, which you'll find at theunconventionalgardener.com. Thanks again to my boosters for supporting the show. And don't forget, you can sign up to the Gardeners of the Galaxy newsletter for new episode alerts and bonus astrobotany content. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control, confirming termination of your signal. We've had a request that you stop supplying your surplus zucchini to the moon colony. They've had about as much zucchini bread as they can stomach. Mission control out.